I think a lot of people are interested in Harry's possible motivation in writing this book, Spare, because at first glance it seems very puzzling. Most people have problems within their families, competitiveness between the siblings, uh, unhappiness, let's say, about the way one parent may have discriminated or treated one child better than the other. What we don't tend to do is reveal all these family problems to complete strangers. So sibling rivalry is about the idea that siblings are often competing for something and as a result often end up in a relationship that is dogged by enmity. So siblings may be competing, maybe in this example, for attention from their parents. Um, and there is a sense in which sometimes what happens in this book is clearly evidence that um, one sibling feels discriminated against. Um, the evidence on extreme acts of sibling rivalry, and the most extreme act of all, is homicide. And it's, this is called sibling-side. Um, interestingly enough, the statistics are that in the vast majority of cases where brothers hate each other so much they end up killing each other, is it's the younger brother that is vastly more often likely to be the perpetrator of a homicide on the older brother. So that's really quite revealing about the dynamic in sibling rivalry, where one side feels very, very unfairly treated uh, by the world in general. Another motivation that psychologists would be interested in would be the notion of birth order. Birth order was a very popular theory in the 1960s in psychology, and birth order theory says your personality is shaped by the order in which you were born. The research evidence indicates, for example, that the oldest born tends to end up being the chairman and the CEO of companies statistically much more likely than the younger born or later borns in a family. The, the first born is often given status by the parents in an authority position and tends to conform more and often take on authority roles later on in life. Interestingly enough, in relationship to this book, that Harry has written, the younger sibling, or the youngest in the birth order, tends to be rebellious. And is there a sense in which what this book represents is a big rebellion against the royal family? And is that explained by the psychology of birth order? Birth order psychology predicts that the older born will be conforming, will tend to adopt authority roles, and tend to take the side of authorities, and birth order theory predicts the younger sibling will tend to be rebellious, upset the apple cart, be unhappy with the status quo, and more likely to cause trouble. And this is exactly as predicted in this book. The other theory that psychologists would use or think about in explaining this book, and this is a theory that I think is really interesting, and the most interesting and the most neglected by the media, is the notion of the power of the comparison effect. The psychology of the comparison effect says that you never feel good about how well you're doing in life in some kind of objective sense. Instead, it's always a comparison. If everyone you went to school with have all become multimillionaires and you're doing pretty well but you're not a multimillionaire, the comparison effect means that you feel unhappy with your lot. How good you feel about your life isn't dependent on how well you're actually doing, it depends on who you compare yourself to. Well, in this particular case, maybe Harry or someone 
second in line to the throne of England, will always be comparing themselves with the first in line, and maybe that comparison means no matter how well they're doing, they never feel they're doing as well as the person they're comparing themselves to. The reason why I think this theory is very interesting is a lot of the reaction in the media has been Prince Harry leads a very privileged life and is doing very well financially. Why on earth is he discontent? Well, comparison theory says it's obvious why he's discontent. No matter how well he's doing, he's always comparing himself to his older brother and he will never be the King of England. A lot of people have theorized that Harry may be over-therapized. A lot of people have been saying that Harry's receiving a lot of psychotherapy, and this has influenced the way this book has been written. A lot of people are wondering if the constant complaining of Harry in this book is a result of a certain kind of psychotherapy. There are two basic kinds of psychotherapy. One kind of psychotherapy, which you might call the dispensation of tea and sympathy, is the one where you go and complain about the world and you say how terrible you feel you're being treated, and the therapist gives you reassurance that actually your feelings are entirely understandable, entirely reasonable, and entirely legitimate. So they reinforce the idea that you're right to be upset. And we do find that very comforting when we're upset. And some people would say this book is the outcome of that kind of therapy. There is another kind of therapy, much less popular, but I would argue a better kind of therapy, where the therapist challenges you and says, well, to what extent are you partly responsible for why this has happened? And one does get a feeling that that kind of therapy may not have been the kind of experience that would underlie the kind of writing of this kind of book, which seems to be a series of complaints and a lack of taking responsibility for a person's own role in what may have happened. Going back to the relationship between um, certain members of the family and the tabloid press, those certain members have decided to get into bed with the devil, right? Mm. Uh, to rehabilitate to, to rehabilitate their image. Yeah. If you need to do that, or you want to do that, or you choose to do that, well, that is a choice. I think there has been a general theme of the interviews in general, and in particular the Tom Bradby interview, in the way Harry interacted with the interviewer. I can't help notice that as a psychiatrist, psychiatrists interview people all the time. People come into the room, they tell a story, they may tell a story like, my family's been really terrible to me and discriminated against my wife. The way a psychiatrist, which shouldn't be that different from the way a journalist might ask questions about that, is to be slightly more challenging than I have seen from any of the interviews, and in particular, the Bradby interview. So, for example, there's a moment in the interview where Harry says, my wife was stereotyped by other members of my family. And Bradbury does say, Bradbury does say, what do you mean? And what he's saying is, give me an example. Give me some evidence for your position. And all that Harry says is the words American actress. Well, I'm not quite sure what that's meant to mean. Yes, he did marry someone who is an American actress or was an American actress. Just because someone refers to her as an American actress, doesn't mean they're necessarily stereotyping her as being a particular kind of person. 
So over and over again, we see assertions being made by Harry. We see deductions being made by him, but there's a lack of challenge over the evidence. What's the evidence for your position? I want to hear incidents. I want to hear concrete examples, and then a debate over whether the example actually means what Harry thinks it's mean. Many psychologists would say that this reverential interviewing style that Harry has, in my opinion, experienced replicates a problematic relationship that people like Harry may have with the world, which is they're used to reverence. And in my experience as a psychiatrist who's treated many celebrities and famous people and wealthy people, is unfortunately that can contaminate the psychiatric encounter as well. And the psychiatrist can be less challenging because they don't want to lose a celebrity patient. And as a result, they can be reverential. Unfortunately, that doesn't really help the patient. The patient should be treated the same way regardless of who they are. And that means if someone says something like, I think my wife was unfairly stereotyped, you then say, what's the evidence for that? And if they can't produce very good evidence, you then say, maybe you're overreacting. Maybe you're oversensitive. Maybe you've come to a conclusion that isn't warranted by the evidence. I love my father, I love my brother, I love my family. I will always do. Nothing of what I've done in this book or otherwise has ever been to, uh, any intention to harm them. I think in the Bradby interview, the answers that Harry gave indicates he does believe that he can reconcile uh, what's happened and he can get back into a positive relationship with his family. Many people would argue that's a somewhat naive view. Um, his assessment of what he's done when he says things like he doesn't intend to hurt um, members of his family, um, what he's kind of doing, he's arguing, is setting the record straight and putting his side of the case. I think is a bit naive. The reality is we always have to think, no matter what we think we're doing, how is it going to be received by other people? And I think his book has been received, as um, written about widely in the media, as an attack on the establishment, an attack on the royal family. So I think that Harry does believe he can get back together, but that is based on an idea that he feels he's open to a reapprochement true question which doesn't appear to be answered by Harry um, in the interviews is what does he think is going to be the reaction of the people he's trying to get back in with and how is he going to resolve um, that reaction. Age, And we do know from the research evidence that losing a parent at a young age, at the age that Harry was, can have a profound psychological effect. However, the thing that's missing in most people's lay understanding of that is the impact depends hugely on your relationship with the other parent. If you have a close, very strong bond with the other parent, it can compensate for the loss of the other parent. And what may be revealed by this, that the, the, the impact of the loss of his mother, uh, Princess Diana, is so enormous and still having repercussions now, despite all the therapy, is actually revealing more about the lack of a positive relationship with the other parent, his father, King Charles. And I think that many in the media are missing that point. In a way, what's being revealed is not just the impact 
of the loss of Diana, but the lack of a, a, a counterpoint, a, a counter support that may have occurred in his relationship with his father. The most dangerous lie that they have told is that I somehow boasted about the number of people that I killed in Afghanistan. The interview with Stephen Colbert is very interesting because it raises the question of whether Harry is kind of denying a certain reality, whether he does have a point. One of the key allegations that is discussed in this interview is the notion that Harry was boasting about the number of people he killed in the Afghan war. The reality is Harry did reveal that, and it's not normally something that most soldiers reveal. This is a key point that, again, I think the reverential interviewing style hasn't challenged Harry enough about. You did a thing. How often do other soldiers do this same thing? And then the other thing is that um, the fact that one's words um, have a spin to them, people take a spin, it's a bit naive, many people would argue, if you're a famous person like um, Harry, not to expect a certain spin to occur. And so there's a lack of understanding that there are implications in mentioning um, the number of people um, that died at, at Harry's hands. One of the deeper psychological questions that psychologists I think are more interested in is why did Harry do it in the first place? Now that he appears to be rowing back a little bit from it, one gets the feeling. One argument would be that in revealing the number of people that were killed, Harry is legitimizing the idea that he was a serious soldier. He wasn't just given a job because he was a member of the royal family. But deep down then, psychologists would wonder about this constant unconscious need to justify your existence. You write about a, a contentious meeting you had with him in 2021. You said, I looked at Willie, really looked at him, maybe for the first time since we were boys. I took it all in. His familiar scowl, which had always been his default in dealings with me, his alarming baldness, more advanced than my own, his famous resemblance to mummy, which was fading with time, with age. It's pretty cutting. I don't see it as cutting at all. Um, you know, my brother and I love each other. I love him deeply. There has been a lot of pain between the two of us, especially the last six years. With Anderson Cooper, Harry talks about his relationship with his brother. And again, my argument as a psychiatrist would be this was a rather reverential interviewing style. Um, Anderson does challenge Harry a bit and reads back some material Harry wrote about his brother, which does look rather cutting. That's the word that Anderson uses. And one, for example, phrase, uh, if I can paraphrase, Harry says, the alarming boldness of my brother, or the increasingly alarming boldness of my brother. And certainly this does seem rather derogatory as a remark. And then Harry goes on to say that he loves his brother. But he's not explaining how you reconcile those two things. Why would you say a lot of the negative things that Harry has said about his brother, and at the same time contend that it has no implications for the idea that he's very attached to his brother. The other thing that many people would argue is a bit of a Freudian slip, some people would argue, um, is the bit in the interview where he says afterwards that one of the reasons he was trying to write this was he was trying to dispel the idea that it was his wife that caused the rift between the two brothers. Well, where did the fact that there was a rift come from in the first place then. He's acknowledging there's a rift. 
kind of, it seems to me. So um, there is a, a, a problem in what's referred to in, by psychiatrists and psychologists, which is inconsistencies. And if there are inconsistencies, they need to be challenged in a normal, uh, proper forensic interview. And there are inconsistencies that don't get challenged enough. Remember, there's a deeper psychology going on behind all these interviews. Harry is the kind of character where the interviewers want access in the future. So they don't want to annoy him, so he refuses to give another interview at some point in the future. That means they're not as challenging as they might be with someone else.